because I think people look at discipline is I'm just going to will this. I'm just going to will this into existence. Um, and, and I don't, I don't think that, that willing something into existence is the same thing as discipline. I think when you have to will something into existence, what you're really saying is I'm, I'm now going to try to overcome negative forces that are working against me to have this thing happen. And I think if that's, if that's the dynamic, I think there it's not a conducive environment for it to be very fulfilling and for it to be, you know, probably very good. Welcome to Imperfect Parenting. I'm Ariel Green Anderson. My name is Matt Anderson. We're bringing you raw, real, and unfiltered stories from around the world. Are you an IP parent? Hi, it's Coach Ariel Anderson, and you just heard Ryan Frederick at the beginning of this podcast, and he is an incredible authentic, genuinely lovely dad and creator on this planet. He is the founder of Icy Stars, a nonprofit that works to activate a technology community of change agents to power social and economic freedom. Yes, Ryan and his team work with low-income young adults, providing them with employment opportunities and preparing them for community-based advocacy, which allows them, the IC stars, to achieve their social purpose. And, you know, Ryan has a, an elite team of 70 product designer, designers and he solves data problems with them at AWH as well. He has worked for many years uh, with several software and service companies and he has just recently written the book the Founder's Manual, a guidebook for becoming a successful entrepreneur. And our conversation was so enlightening. He dives into his process as a dad, as a writer, and how that was unfolding. And I know you out there are, you know, finding the way to put out what you are meant to. And he dives into that process in a way that is super helpful and enlightening. And as well, talking about, you know, his purpose and you know, taking things for the greater good, you know, as far as when you are creating something, like what is ultimately your high dream for what you would like to create and be a part of on the planet. So without any more delay, I'm just gonna jump right in here and have you join our conversation with Ryan Frederick. Hi, Ariel, how are you? Hi, Ryan, not bad. Good. Look at you all set up. <laughs> You've got the gear. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, well, when you write a couple of books, then your marketing team wants you to display the books on Zoom and my publisher does too. So um, my publisher wants me to now be as good at selling books as I am at writing books. Oh, um, which seems which seems wholly, Why is that your job. You're the creative. <laughs> exactly. Seems wholly unreasonable and unfair. But, you know, I get I guess uh, I have to go along with it. Is that why you're here on the podcast today? <laughs> to sell the book <laughs> yes I'm, ju I'm just here to pitch books right well it's funny because today uh i was just thinking i was like well you know i i'm always um you know now we're at 140 something episodes i'm always shifting things around and i said you know what i really have to do the same thing i do with coaching before my calls just for a change which is 
instead of just like having it be this, which I don't generally do the same old, same old thing, but uh, it's what are you hoping for by the end of the call? So, you know, we're already recording, but we cut this piece out and it's just, what would be ideal for you? I hear what your publisher would like, <laughs> but, right. but what would be, what would feel, you know, successful for you at the end of the call, you know, as far as your message? Cause I, I generally work pretty intuitively. I don't have, I, I prefer, I have some questions in my mind, which I may or may not use. Uh, but I generally prefer that things kind of happen fluidly, but I always, I would like to know also like what would be ideal for you if it's, you know, if it happens, if it's possible um, in the call, what would be your ideal? Yeah. I like the, the fluid approach too, because I think that those are the best conversations and, and <laughs> the most, and the most interesting ones. Um, so for me, the best outcome is, is truly having a, an interesting, valuable conversation, because if, if we do that, then people might, you know, give one of my books a, a shot. Right. And so, I, I really just want to have an interesting conversation. And if we do that, I think the other derivatives are a potential outcome. I love to hear that we're aligned because that, that's why I, I prefer calling these conversations versus interviews. You know, when I'm having an exchange with whoever I'm setting things up with is uh, it just sounds less rigid and more real and true. And honestly, my own experience is that people want to get to know you know, getting to know you and what you're passionate about is what gets them excited about reading your books or connecting with you at all. And, and I'm here with our audience to, I have two, we have two podcasts, we have the corporate corner and we have imperfect parenting. And I generally will get pieces for each of them in an interview so I, or conversation. So I just try to have the conversation and see what felt feels most natural. Are, are you a, are you also a father? Are you a man in the world? What is your just to check in with that. <laughs> yeah, I am. I've got I've got two sons. Um, one is is thirty. Um, he's off on his own, and then I have a thirteen year old. Um, so essentially, two only child families because they're seventeen years apart. Um, we, sorry. Yeah. Well, we have that over here. We have twenty five, sixteen, and four. <laughs> so. <laughs> from two different marriages, but you know, yeah, it's, it's a very, they both, I guess, get to have, got to have the best of your, so to speak, I guess. Right. (laughs) And the worst maybe. (laughs) Right. Assuming that there's a best, right. They, they, (laughs) they, they had access to it. Right. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, parenting is one of those things that, that um, you, you, you just figure it out as you go along and you, you believe in certain, you know, sort of, um, fundamentals, I guess. And then you, you, it's, it's a big experiment, right? Because you fit, you, you try things and you see, are you getting the result that you want or aren't you? And if you're not right, then you try a different experiment and a different approach. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't, I, I'm not optimistic. I'm going to win a father of the year award anytime soon. Um, but you know, they seem, seem to be relatively well-adjusted human beings. So I'll take that as a win. I think that's most of us. Well, I, I named the podcast, you know, one of the podcasts Imperfect Parenting because it was a reminder to myself, stop thinking that you can be perfect and stop constantly berating yourself for being imperfect and doing things that are not always ideal or being the person who's not perfect. Yeah, it's tricky. But um, yeah, let's just keep talking. And, and, 
and uh oh it's great so where i'm just curious actually where where are you in the world at this moment when i call we talk i'm in yeah i'm in columbus ohio okay we're in northern california rainy rainy day <laughs> it, it it sacramento or more toward the coast oh, no good question actually we just moved a few days ago um very spontaneously and we're now 20 minutes from the beach but not southern california warmy beach um, we're in the Sonoma wine country. So it's, um, you know, where there's agriculture and uh, eco thinking and um, sort of a lot of activism, good food, and the beach is 20 minutes away, but it tends to be cooler than, for example, Santa Monica or something like that, but still beautiful. And the redwoods are right here. I can actually look right here and <laughs> see a couple redwoods. And that's oh, nice. awesome. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think it's, it's a misnomer about California that, that, uh, you know, it, it's all warm and toasty and, and because it, you know, from, from really probably San Jose up, right. It, it, it can be pretty um, cool most of the time. And, but, you know, I, I love San Francisco. I mean, it's just the, the micro climates that exist in Northern California are, are hard to replicate anywhere else. And, and frankly, may not even exist anywhere else. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that. Cause I remember that even in a town I was in, I used to live in Mill Valley, just across the golden gate bridge, redwoods and whatnot. And, and I remember being shocked that I moved literally three blocks, a different direction on a, on a street called Sunnyside. And it was like, I was in a different climate. The other one had always been like misty and cold and whatever. And this one was, I, I could take outdoor showers every day. It was like being in Hawaii. I mean, it was coldish, but not as cold. So it's funny. And Ohio, I see sun <laughs> over there. Yeah, we've, we, we've got a decent run of, of nice weather over the last couple of days. And, and it looks like, you know, over the next few um, but, you know, it can be touch and go this time of the year. You know, we'll have a, a couple of, of chilly days, you know, as, as spring starts to, you know, develop. And so, you know, it's mid 60s today um, and we'll 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 get back down to the 40s for a couple of days. And then eventually over the next couple of weeks, as we get to the beginning of April, we'll we'll get to the point where we'll mostly be in the 50s and 60s. And, and then, you know, spring will have really sprung and, you know, then. Um, you know, people will feel like winter is really behind them. I'm so curious uh, because, you know, we're often in conversation in this house because we, we all, we're both semi-closeted writers and we do creative other things and creativity inside business, blah, blah, blah. We're always talking about how weather affects us. Now, my husband and my daughter, if it's raining, <laughs> they're not people you want to be around. But I find those like the super sunny days, not crazy hot can be really, I feel inspired. I want to be outside creating, writing. And on the, on the super rainy days, there's also sort of a more um, internal version of that happening where I kind of like to be in a corner with, you know, something warm. And I'm just curious, are there, <laughs> if the weather affects your creativity, do you find uh, different seasons or times of weather where you, you get attracted to creating or if it changes the type of writing that you do? It, it, yes and no. I, I think that um, I can be very disciplined. So w when I'm in the process of you know writing a book, for example, I, I can I can and I learned this through writing my first book because writing the first one, I wasn't very disciplined because I thought, all right, well, how hard can this be? 
I've got the concepts. I've even got some, you know, chapter titles and sort of chapter abstracts, right? So I was like, how hard is this going to be to expound upon these to actually write a book? And I totally underestimated it. It, it proved to be incredibly hard. And I'm not, and, and I'm, and I'm, my publisher is going to kill me for saying this, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even sure the book is that good um, because it was my first sort of attempt at, at, at writing a book. And, um, and, and then what I realized to actually get that book across the finish line is that irrespective of whatever else was going on and whatever the conditions were, that I was going to write for a minimum of 90 minutes every day, even on, even on holidays, because I needed that level of discipline to sort of you know, get through it. Um, and so the second book was much easier for me to write because I knew that I needed to bring that level of discipline to it to, to get through it. So I now can, you know, write and work on creative stuff. And I've written some songs and, and some other stuff that I'm goofing around with. Um, I can, I can be disciplined enough that, that, that irrespective of what, of what the conditions are like and whatever else is going on, that I can put in the time needed to get accomplished what needs to get accomplished that day. Um, I think I'm probably in a slightly different mood and maybe sort of mental state, you know, if it's uh, if it's a foot of snow outside and it's zero degrees or it's raining versus it being sunny, uh, because you I think it just we, we would be lying to ourselves and I would be lying to myself if if I, I wasn't open to the fact that weather affects your perspective. Right. And, and so I think that that, you know, when it, it's sort of gray and gloomy, that probably affects our mental state. And then and then what we produce as work, even when we're working in that context, versus if we're sitting on a park bench writing when it's 75 degrees out, right, and the water is lapping right up against a bank, right, that probably gets us in a very different mental state. And, and maybe our maybe our creative output is then different given the circumstances. Absolutely. I just moved from Czech Republic, from Prague. And, you know, there's there's a lot of dark humor and sort of dark poetry, beautiful, deep, but intense, very different. And, you know, then you're in Italy and it's not that there's no darkness there either, but, you know, there's like a more sunny country. So, I mean, you know, I noticed that and I was always curious. Um, so um, thank you for reflecting that. And I just have to say, because I think, you know, a first book, you know, your publisher might kind of raise an eyebrow at what you said about your first book. But I think that actually that's part of the beauty of um, following a writer is also being a part of that journey. If it was so absolutely 100 percent polished or whatever it is that you may have as a judgment or, or whatever in, in your mind, uh, we, we don't get to have a part of that journey. It's, it's like kids in school, you know, there's the teachers who correct them. And so they, all the kids come home with the perfect circles. So you never get to see them grow. Or there's the ones who, you know, they start as ovals by the end of the year, they look more like circles and you go, wow, that's really cool. So I, I'm, I'm actually thankful if you don't think that your first book is perfect because it allows, you know, that sort of more, that rawness that is, um, it's essential and it's great to be a witness to. So my daughter has just walked in the room. So, you know, yes, VP. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm curious, 
what changed inside of you between your books and, and how, what the gap was between the books. And if you would also mention the name of your books so we can get an essence of the different uh, topics. All about honey bun. Mm. Yeah. I will see you in a little bit. Excuse me. Ella, yep. do you need something, honey bun? Yeah, it's gone. Okay, ask daddy to help, honey bun. Or you do a puzzle on iPad. Do puzzle. I'm sorry. Okay. Could you close the door, please, bug? Thank you, sweetie, because daddy's loud. He's on a call. Excuse me. Yeah, all good. <laughs> Trying to integrate life there. So, yeah, right. coming back to, to the question, I would love to hear, you know, just what in your own life, in your story and, and what you feel are the differences just in, um, you know, cause just even the challenge is often even just one day to the next, that was often the challenge when, when we're writing is I'm like, but I feel so different. You know, you'd hear about the, uh, was it the expressionist impressionist? My brain isn't going to work well today. Uh, you know, that would go at the same time every day to the cliffside to take a, you know, to, to paint or draw the, the ocean or to have the light the same way. Um, I'm, I'm actually already going into another question, but I realized, but how do you, how do you stay in that alignment of the, uh, what you're writing? And then we have the other question. But. Yeah, I think that um, th there is, is good value in, in that repetition, right. Of going back to the cliff at the same time every day. Um, because I think that that gets you, if it, if it, if it works, you know, well, at, at a certain point, the reason you go back to that, that cliff at the same time is you're trying to replicate that flow that you had, right? Where the creativity came easier and the words came easier and the writing was better, right? And so, you know, that's one of the things that, that I found is that um, I, I, in writing the first book, I didn't necessarily know how to write a book well, so I was sort of searching for what's the best time of day for me and what's the best location and what's the best environment and for how long, you know, and all of that. And I think the big difference between the first book and the second book was I went into the second book knowing those things. So it was easier for me to sort of get into the flow and, and to know when I did good writing and when I did not so good writing and and so that was probably the biggest difference for me was just understanding what are the attributes and the variables that I picked up on writing the first one that allowed me to understand when I did my best writing and then to leverage that in the second book rather than, so the first book was sort of discovery, right? As an author, the second book was more execution as an author than discovery as an author. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I imagine that uh, the energy that you, in some sense, saved from trying to figure it out was probably going into your book and into your experience with the book. Is that it, it, absolutely? And I think the yeah. second book is better because of that. I think the the second book is also longer, um, probably because it was it was I spent less energy trying to figure out how to be an author and to write a book. And I spent, I could, can, I could then put that energy into the content and, and actually write more uh, and have more to say. Um, 
and 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 neither neither of these books again my publisher is going to kill me uh, but neither of these books are are scintillating reads um you know this is this is not 50 shades of gray territory right these are these are two business books one is called the founder's manual and it's about being a founder starting companies and building early products and the second one uh is around growing and managing a services firm um, like, you know, a design firm or an accounting firm, you know, et cetera. And, and so, you know, very sort of tactical, you know, uh, business books, you know, that, that you know, not, uh, not with, you know, compelling stories as much as sort of experiential of this is what I've seen work. This is what I've seen not work. Here's some tips and here are some guideposts for people to, to consume it and maybe put them on a path that increases their odds of making it work, given my experiences and some of the experiences that I've witnessed. But sometimes that's what you want. I mean, they, I pick up, I have so many different books, you know, waiting to be finished or to be read and, or that I pick up along the way or whatever. And they, you, you pick up different things for different needs. It's like watching different movies at different times or have, getting together with different friends who support your, your soul, your needs, your logic, whatever, in different ways. So, you know, what you've created is needed for that purpose. When I'm going to, when I'm trying to build my business, which is a constant and ever evolving um, beast, uh, I want often something that's straightforward. I mean, something that I can, of course, still get through that the way that it's written or often even just the way that it's laid out makes sense, you know, to, um, to move through and, and execute and get inspired by, or, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way, or, oh, I could do it this way. Um, sometimes when there's too much, um, you know, 50 shades of gray bits in, mixed in, you know, you, you lose the plot yourself. So, you know, it's, uh, maybe there's going to be another book in the future, which is about the actual experience of writing or some other version of what's inside of you. And, uh, because I think there's, you know, we often have different pieces that are meant to come out at different times. And, you know, you wouldn't have written the books if they weren't needed. Somebody, somebody, somebody was sending the message out to the universe or whatever you believe in that I need this book. And those people are going to find that book or those books, I should say. Uh, it, yeah. And it was, it, it felt very much like it, it, I wanted to write the books, even if, um, even if there was no market for the books, right? And even if, even if they didn't sell a lot of copies, that I, I was not concerned about whether they were commercially successful or not. I just, I just wanted to write the books for, for myself. And, and I think there's some, some tidbits in there that, that, are, that could be useful to people and people will get value from. But it, it was not... Oh, I'm going to write these books because I, I think they're they're just going to kill it in the marketplace, and they're you know, and and they're just going to sell a ton of copies. I wanted to write them because I wanted to write them because I just had things that I wanted to say, and th that th that and and that has and I think this is where a lot of creatives have to have to start is is if you've got something you want to say, if you've got something that you want to draw, if you've got something that you want to create, right? You have to be okay with the fact that that's enough and that's good enough, right? And if, if it becomes commercially successful, all the better, but that's not the reason to do it. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. And I think that uh, a lot of people, I mean, it sounds to me, correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds to me like you were, you were pulled to do the books. Like I need to do this book. I need to write it. It Were you pulled? I mean. Yeah, because it got to the point where I felt like if I didn't, if I didn't write the first one in particular, and then the second one, ultimately, because, you know, I got through the first one and, you know, it didn't die in the process. Um, <laughs> the, the, that it felt, it became one of those things where it felt like I was going to be unfulfilled a, as a person if I didn't write the books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I've started writing a third one and, you know, and after writing the first one, I took, you know, I, I knew I was going to write a second one, but I took a couple of months off and well, I intended to take a couple of months off. And then I started working on the second one about four weeks after the first one came out because I missed working on the book that much because it had become such a, an important part of my routine. And I enjoyed the writing time and I enjoyed the creativity and the, the overall process that I missed it, that I actually started writing the second book sooner than I thought. And that sort of reinforced for me that, that um, it was giving me fulfillment on lots of levels that uh, I had no idea was, was going to be the case. That's mm. actually pretty deep. I'm imagining, I'm actually feeling right now more than I'm in my head. I'm, I'm curious what, if you're willing to share some of the, the deeper side of that, because I hear you talking about the, the creative piece, but there must've been something really there for you to go back so quickly after working so hard. What are, what are some of the things that came up? Like, why, why is it so important? Not just creating because there's stuff that's obviously a powerful part of you, but was it a self growth or learning? Was there something on that path that beyond just the creativity and getting the words out, that was coming back for you? Yeah, I think that, that, um, cause it's a strong process writing. It, it is. <laughs> right? it, and, and I think it became, um, something where any, anybody can do anything once. Right. And, and so I, I sort of felt like after doing the first one and having, and wanting to do the second one, that it was a little bit of test, a little bit of a test around it. You know, I, I, I'm not sure what to call it. My um, fortitude or resiliency uh, to to sign up for it and to do it again, and and doing that, and consciously saying, "Yep, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step up to the plate again, and I'm gonna do another one." meant that the first one wasn't an accident. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't just a, 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 a check a box and then move on. And so there was some c- components, you know, to, you know, to that, that I think that um, I needed to prove to myself, if nothing else, that the first one wasn't just a, I did it to check a box. Um, and, and that, that became important to me in, in the process of, and the reason for writing the second book. Mm-hmm. Um, and tell me what was the between the first and the second and now the third what kind of time span like when was the first book started when you started it um, and if it was a longer or shorter process for each of the yeah the, the first books one that are completed sh- <laughs> yeah the first one was shorter um, I, I signed the contract to write the first book in 
at the end of June of 19, I was supposed to have it done by the end of November. Um, and I got off to such a rocky start writing the first one that I had to reach out to the publisher and say, I, I and to ask for more time because I was now six weeks into it and I didn't even have a chapter yet because I, I was trying to figure out all the things we talked about before, you know, when should I write in it, what time of the day, what days of the week, what conditions, what spots, you know, et cetera. And so it took me a while to figure a bunch of stuff out because uh, I was in that discovery process with the first book. And so they said, yeah, sure. You know, it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really matter whether it comes out at the end of November or end of January or, or what have you. So I then ended up getting the first draft of the first book to them uh, essentially the end of the year. So the end of December. Um, and then, um, and then they had it for a couple of months and we went back and forth and, and it came out, um, spring of, uh, 20. So a year, a year ago, basically. And then I started working on the, the second book, um, really as soon as the, 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 the book was final and I knew that there were no more changes to the first book. So even before it came out, I started working on, on the second book. So the second book I probably started working on in February of 20. Uh, and then I worked on it pretty much all year last year. And the, and then it came out the beginning of February. Um, yeah, just like a month ago. Um, and so that one took a little bit longer, but it, it's, it's beefier. There's more in the book. The book is longer. Um, and, and, and I'm glad that I started sooner on the second one than, than I had planned to, because since it's longer, there's more content there. It allowed me to, to, you know, get through it, but, you know, to ultimately allow the book to, to be written really inside of a year, um, and not that that matters, I guess, in the end, but it also feels like it, it feels to me now personally that if a creative project starts to starts to lag and starts to drag, that that I, I might lose my enthusiasm for it, and and, and maybe the, the work would then be not as good. I have no idea if that's true or not, um, because there's been there's been lots of books and songs and poems and paintings and things over time where people, you know, ha have worked on it for, you know, years, years and years and years before they, they got it to the point where they felt comfortable exposing it to the world. So, um, but it felt like for me on both of, of, you know, the first two books that, that I needed to approach them with a little bit of urgency and, and, and not let, you know, not let them lag. Um, and, and I have no idea if that was the right approach or the wrong approach. Um, it just felt right for me. Okay. I'm curious when, because you mentioned, you know, as we were talking before about having a couple of boys and I'm just curious if how the process has been with your kids, if you ever earlier on in your parenting journey or your <laughs> journey on the planet had the idea to do these books or other books, but either life reality or internal reality said not yet, or it didn't quite work out or, you know, what, what changed the timing for you or what happened inside of you to change the timing or 
whatnot. Yeah, probably just internal reality um, mm -hmm. uh, of, you know, getting to the point of, um, you know, being in, in my, you know, mm -hmm. early 50s now, um, having more time to be able to be, dedicate to a project like writing a book. Um, I don't know, at least for me, I don't know that it, that earlier it would have made sense for me from a time energy perspective. Um, so I think it was just the right time of life for me um, to do it. Um, you know, and, and now I've got a third book in the works and I've got, you know, another two or three on a list that I, that I might tackle uh, moving forward. So I think it was just a lifetiming thing for me where it just made sense and it was a good fit for where I was in life and, and that I could dedicate the time to do it. Um, I think that was most of it, actually. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you had, if you were standing in front of somebody who was looking to dive into their creativity, uh, into writing a book. And they were at that stuck place where they're feeling it, but they're not feeling the full confidence. You know, maybe it was the place where you were during the first book or well before that, you know, before, you know, you feel something kind of like um, tickling you that's asking to be, uh, to be done, but there's something, maybe a limiting belief or just for whatever it is, just sort of standing there. What advice would you give them right, to move forward somehow? Yeah, this is probably not going to be, you know, um, uh, terribly useful advice, but okay. It's, the, okay. it's, the, it's the advice that I would give because I think it's, because I think it's, I think it's true. Um, but it might be disappointing advice is, is the better way to put it. Um, I think, you know, I think, you know, when it's time. Um, and if you have an inkling, but you're not ready to act on that inkling, I think if you try to force it, uh, I think it, 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 you could be putting yourself through some pain and agony and stress because now you're trying to, you're trying to force the manifestation of something when you're not ready. And so I, I would say that if someone has an inkling to do something creative or um, or starting a company, which I think is also a very creative endeavor or anything right in a creative realm. I think if they have the inkling, they should honor that inkling. They should acknowledge it. But if they're, if they're not ready, I don't think that they should force it. And I don't think they should feel forced, right. That because they have the inkling that they now have to do it. I think that, that they will know when they're ready to do it because it will, I think it will morph from an inkling to something that they're actually now willing to sacrifice to do it, right? Because if you're going to do something, um, if you're going to create anything, you are going to give up things, time, energy, et cetera, to now invest in that thing that you're now going to create. And you know when you're ready to do it, when you're ready to give up those other things. Mm. Wow. I hope you guys heard that. If you didn't fully hear, I want you to, when you're listening to this podcast, I want you to go back and listen to that whole thing that you, that Ryan just said. Uh, I think that is spot on Ryan. And I, I absolutely, that's exactly what I, I could have, I didn't even know what I wanted you to say, but I, I'm so glad that you said that because uh, I think that there, um, there are a lot of people, myself included, I can say in this, we made a big transition recently where you get 
caught up in what you think you're supposed to do. We were even talking about that before, even about the process of writing and all these things and what you're supposed to write and how you're supposed to write it. But even just the, the starting, uh, I think that a lot of people will be like, okay, I should, my least favorite four letter, non four letter word, I should do this uh, now because for whatever reasons pop up or someone says something or whatnot. And then there's a lot of spinning wheels because internally they know it's not time, but there's something that says, I should. And therefore there's a lot of wasted energy. And then also it, it, there's a, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's also uh, a becoming smaller in a way you can, the, the, the thing loses energy a bit because you've, you're hard on yourself for not following through. Oh, why didn't I follow through on that? That's what I should have done. I, you know, it's obviously whatever ABCD should be done right now and you're not doing it. I mean, whenever I'm with coaching clients, I say, well, I'm not mad at you for not doing that thing that we said we, you were going to do. I'm curious what's there. Maybe it's not the right time. Exactly. Like you just said. So, and it, that was actually a really super important thing to say out loud, because I think that we think there's a scarcity mind that comes up, right? Here's the idea. I got to do it right now. You know, just like you said, with your first book, you know, a lot of people would be like, got to get it out before Christmas, but you knew that it needed more time. And I'm really happy also that your publisher didn't say no, you know, two weeks because probably the, the book is better for it. So, uh. yeah, I think that there's a really delicate balance that I've discovered between discipline and forcing things um, because you, you can be, you can be incredibly disciplined and you should be inside of anything that that's, that's meaningful to you. Right. Um, but you can't force things because if you force things, then the, the thing and the universe will repel with equal force. Mm. And so I, I spend a lot of time talking to founders of, of companies and, and advising them and, and, and mentoring them and, and building software products. That's, that, that's, you know, the day job. Um, and you, you, you can't, you can't force it because if you force it, the likelihood of it being enjoyable, the likelihood of it being good and the likelihood of it succeeding, it, it, it is almost zero. Um, you, you, you can, you cannot force something into existence and, and for a positive outcome. Um, now you can operate with discipline inside of something that's important and meaningful to you, but that's different than, than trying to force something to happen that you're, that you're not into and, and that, you know, is not that meaningful to you at the time. So, but I think that's a very delicate balance um, because I think people look at discipline is I'm just going to will this, I'm just going to will this into existence. Um, and, and I don't, I don't think that, that, willing something into existence is the same thing as discipline. I think when you have to will something into existence, what you're really saying is I'm, I'm now going to try to overcome negative forces that are working against me to have this thing happen. And I think if that's, if that's the dynamic, I think there it's not a conducive environment for it to be very fulfilling and for it to be, you know, probably very good. Ryan, how do you recognize the line? Like, between discipline and the, you know, you were just saying, you know, you ride this line. How do you often make your decision about what's next? Yeah, I think that, that 
if if you can honestly look at something and say, I can't imagine not having this in my life or not not pursuing this and producing this thing, that's when you can say, okay, now I need to get disciplined about it. If it, if it if it's if it's something of you know, back to your, you know, should, I should be doing this, right? Then, and then I think that you're, you're trying to will it into, to existence and now you're forcing it versus being so grounded in the fact that, no, I really have to do this, right? Then you can get disciplined about it. And I think that there's, um, I, I don't know how something, how something morphs from being, you know, I should do this or, this would be good for me to do into the category of I have to do this, but the have to sounds harsher than the should, or I want to, but when something becomes a have to, it actually like all the pressure comes off of it because if you have to do it, now you'll figure out a way to do it. The shoulds and the things that, that I probably, you know, um, want to do, those are, are, that's a category that, that has some tedium attached to it, right? Where the things that you have to do mm-hmm. are, are tedious, right? You, be, you actually enjoy the process. You enjoy the work. You enjoy the discipline around them. And so um, I don't know, that's pr- probably just a bunch of wordplay, um, but <laughs> no. th- th- there, th- there's some truth in there somewhere that, that I think every, in, every person has to figure out for themselves too, right? Of, of, what matters to them now and what do they have to do and, and versus what's optional. And if it's optional, you're probably not going to will it into existence, but if you have to do it, then you probably should figure out how do you get disciplined at what you have to do, because then you'll actually manifest it and you'll, you'll create it and bring it into existence. Yes. And people are waiting for it. So when you feel that certainty, that's usually you're, you're, you're listening, you know, on a, another level and people are saying, or whatever powers that be are saying, do it. Um, and certainty tends to make things happen. You know, like you were yeah. saying, it's, and it's when and you it's know, so- and you're clear, it just, you don't have to know all the steps in between, just start moving that way. <laughs> things happen. Right. And, and, and that's a great point. Cause I was just going to add that is it, it doesn't mean that it isn't scary. It doesn't mean you have all the answers. It doesn't mean you have it all figured out. But you, you then have a sense uh, that, that you, you are going to figure it out, right? And, and that, that has power in and of itself too, um, which I think is really important. Thank you. I, you know, I uh, always uh, am attempting to create an experience in the conversations with um, someone like yourself or the audience of, of being inspired to, to follow what you're meant to be doing you know, and it doesn't have to be everything. You know, I love that you, uh, you talked about, you're talking about how you, you have a diverse creativity. You're not only writing, which actually I'm wondering if that makes the writing fun because if you're only writing, it becomes such work, but that you're doing songs and other things. uh, Does it help you stay excited about writing? Because I know that if you start to do something for it, well, I know you have your day job, but you, if it starts to become, you know, part of the, um, the essence of who you are, whatnot, and in a daily kind of way, then it sometimes loses its luster and its fun and its excitement. Does doing other things help that or what helps you keep the joy in what you, 
what you are creating. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very good insight. I think that if I was a writer as my profession, I think it might be a very different experience for me. Um, it, but but I own a, a software product and data consulting firm is the primary is the primary gig. So very technical, you know, very um, structured. Um, I mean, there's a creative aspect to creating software products too. So, and I'm not diminishing that, um, but there's also a very sort of analytical, technical, you know, component to it. And I, and I think the, the writing um, is, is an, is a creative outlet that, that is, is maybe not the complete antithesis of building software products, but it's, it's pretty far removed from building software products. Um, and I just know about myself now that, um, for me to be interested in sort of myself and for me to be interested in, in to feel like I've got an interesting life, I, I need layers you know, to it that um, don't, that, that are complementary, but also in some ways have zero to do with each other. So um, I, I also like, I, I, I bought a cabin in the woods and, and I'm in the process of buying a cabin on a lake right now. And the cabin that I bought in the woods was a, was a fixer upper. And I knew that it was, but I was excited about taking on the challenge of fixing it up. So I built the decks myself. I fixed the foundation myself. I did concrete work myself. And so that was another layer that was, of, of interest for me and intrigue, right? Building software products as the business, playing contractor, right? On other days and, and then writing and, and doing other things in other moments. And I, I think that that keeps me interested in me. If that, it, 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 you know, and that's, that sounds really weird and I've never said it like that before, but I think one of the real challenges that we have as humans is, are we even interested in who we are and what makes us up and what our layers are? Uh, and if, if we're not that interested in who we are, we shouldn't expect anybody else to be that interested in who we are. Yes. Well, put. <laughs> I mean, I think that people uh, sometimes forget that, you know, how important that is. And uh, I'm wondering what, what is your, your, your day job and your writing creativity, what have they, learn from each other or, or taught each other. I'm listening to you talking about the two of them. I'm just curious how they, how they do interact or affect each other. I think I'm, I'm, this is maybe a weird outcome of the writing, but I I feel much more empathetic and patient uh, in, in, in the, in the business um, with the, with clients and with, with team members, um, because the, the writing gives me time to, um, the, the writing time is almost meditative, right? It, it, it is, it is, it's quiet time, it's downtime. And even though I'm writing, it is, it is not, it's not as intense as building a software product with a client who's, who's, investing, you know, a million dollars in the software product 
and, you know, and it has to work and they have to get their return out of it, right? So they're investing a million dollars with us, let's say, to build a software product. They need that software product to then generate $10 million for them or more. And, and so there's great intensity around it and pressure around these projects and these client engagements and these client relationships. And the writing is, is for me and, and it's, you know, and I want other people to get value out of it, but I'm writing it mostly for myself. And so I think there's, there's an escape for me and there's almost a meditative component to the writing that makes me better as a leader for the software company. Does that make sense? Absolutely makes sense. And that you're taking it, you're taking it in like that, that you're viewing it and experiencing it like that, uh, you know, is also about you, you know, that's your, your, your path. You know, some people can, like you said, we're talking about earlier, almost do things mechanically according to the market and da da da. they're not going to necessarily get that experience. So anyway, I'm, I'm really, um, thank you for sharing that. It's, I think that the big word that comes through as I'm talking to you is that, you know, the authenticity in how you are as a human being into your work and your life. And uh, I'm, I'm honored that you're sharing that with all of us. And um, I guess I would want to ask you as we're coming, moving towards the finale here of talking, I would love to hear about your book. Well, we can talk about both of them, the most recent one, but I would love for you to, what would be your, your ultimate, you would feel, I know you said that these books are, you know, you wrote, wrote them for you. But what would be your high dream for each of the books as far as who would find them and what they would get from it ultimately? Not just the title, but you know, your your highest dream as a human being and a writer. Yeah, the first book um, I wrote because I think that so many people have um, a misguided view of of what it means to be a founder and to start a company and to be an entrepreneur. Uh, the journey is is not like what most people think it's like. Um, and so they go into it, I think, un- uninformed, naive. They think it's going to be glamorous. They think that they're going to, you know, make a lot of money. And, and in my experience, you're going to be broke before you make any money. Um, and it's a very mercurial journey. Um, and so I just wanted to share some of my experiences doing it and, and watching other people do it. So to, to help people make for the first book that's called The Founder's Manual, to be able to make a more informed decision about do they really want to start a company? And if they do, to go into it more eyes wide open than eyes wide shut. So at least if they choose to do it, and I don't think most people should, I don't think most people should, should start companies and be entrepreneurs. I think uh, many do it because they don't really understand what the existence is going to be like. And in a lot of ways, uh, it sucks. Um, you know, if, it, if, it, if the company works and you succeed, you know, monetarily because of it, the, you know, the, that's awesome. But I think that, that most people, you know, don't, don't go into it for the right reasons and with the right perspective. Um, the second book, similarly, it's about managing and growing a professional services firm. Um, I started with the very fundamental premise that it's easy to start a services firm and it's very hard to grow one. 
because the business model for services firms is atrocious. Um, you essentially are trading, you're trading time for money and uh, services firms have, are incredibly hard to scale because you hire more people uh, to produce, presumably do more work for clients. But you do that in a situation where you're going to hire people and you're going to grow your team, hoping that you, you can sell more client engagements and that you get paid on time from clients because every services firm acts like a bank. And, and many don't also realize, you know, that, and that you can, you can look very profitable as a services firm and you can be, you can be broke because there's a huge difference between profitability and cash flow. So you could sign a million dollar engagement with a client to provide them services and you might have 50% margin on that. So you might have $500,000 in profitability and you might be starving because they haven't paid you a cent yet, right? And so there's so many aspects to running services firms that are very challenging, and that's why it's hard to grow them and how and hard to make them sustainable uh, because they're super easy to start. Any designer, developer, accountant, lawyer can put out a shingle and say, "Yep, I'm I'm now in business." And if they have any desire to evolve from that initial craftsperson that started the firm to actually being a business person operating a firm and not inside of the firm working, um, then they've got to figure out how do they go from, you know, sort of founder craftsperson to business person operator. And those are two very different existences. Um, and, and so I just want people in both situations to be aware of what they're signing up for and, and, and to be able to make a decision about whether it's for them or not. Um, because in, in a lot of cases, people get um, into these, into these companies, into these situations that it's not what they thought it was going to be. And, and, and then they have to make some tough choices. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just absolutely feeling you because the, uh... It, this is so both of your books right now, I have to say, due to what's been happening in the world and in our country, uh, they're so needed right now because people do have a lot of idealistic versions of things in their mind. And uh, with all the shifts in people's um, companies and employment and whatnot, a lot of people are looking at these things, struggling with them. And I think even just to read your books, even if they're in the process of it, to get that sort of validation that they're not nuts. This is actually, it, it's really, it's really tricky in the beginning. And then as you, the, the whole scaling piece, the time for money is such a, uh, it, you know, to shift things around, you have to bring in such deep creativity, which isn't even necessarily always possible with every kind of business. Um, people don't realize how much energy goes out to starting and growing, scaling a company. And the kinds of really um, intense decisions, you have to be willing to jump off a cliff a lot of the times, you know, and take a risk, you know, to build a team to be stronger, for example, so that you can, you can actually even maintain growth and, and uh, manage it and grow in a way that feels right, not only to your business, to your employees, but also to your own soul, as you were talking about before, you know, <laughs> about, um, you know, 
the writing, you know, it and yourself and being interesting. It's also inside of your business. That's there are moments where, like in the parenting we were talking about before, you know, you're not always the person that you want to be. You're not always having the business that you you hope for. And that's one thing I've seen over and over again in the last. I think I've I spent in the last two years maybe over a thousand hours on other people's courses and coaching programs because I'm a I like to learn and I'm curious. And the number one thing that's come up is these people who are multimillionaires, but have talked about how overstressed they are and how much of that money just goes directly into the business. And they're not, you know, doesn't look the way it seems or it isn't the way it seems. And, you know, I, that whenever any of you, you know, who are putting things out there, when you're talking about like right now about the realness of it, that you actually put it down in writing, that's actually quite huge to be that honest about it (laughs) to the world with your name on it. And, uh, and that's going to help a lot of people. So I'm really thankful that you took the courage to listen to that inkling or whatever it was that popped up and, and put it out there for everyone else to learn from, because it's really needed. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And, and, you know, if, if one person gets value out of either of the books, right, then, then it was worth it. Um, because, you know, I think that, that, you know, that's, um, you know, that's ultimately why I wrote them is, you know, to share some of my experiences and, and I don't have all the answers and I, and I, and I don't even have to be right on, on the points that I make in the book. I just want people to be aware and then they can make their own decisions about, you know, what's, what's right for them and, and they can then consume it and, 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 you know, hopefully be more informed, but, doesn't mean that, that, you know, my perspective uh, is the right perspective for somebody that reads the book, but hopefully at least gives them a little bit more awareness and, and then they can make a more informed decision about how to grow their firm, whether to start a company or not, how to, how to create an early product, you know, and, and, you know, the various components of the book. So thanks for the opportunity to, to chat about it and um, have a conversation. Yeah. Well, where can they, what can we do to support you? Where, where can they find your books? Of course, we'll put links in the podcast, but I always love to hear from you where you'd like to be connected to people or, you know, if you've got a handle uh, for Instagram or what, where do you like to be connected and where do you want people to reach to first, whether Amazon or your personal website or what? Yeah, pr- probably the easiest places jumping off point is my personal site. It's ryanfrederick.biz. Um, there's links to both of the books there. Um, my product firm is awh.net. So um, if people are interested in the soft world of in the business of building software products, they can they can talk to us there. And there's a bunch of content on that site. Um, and then I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. If, but if they find me on the .biz site, then they can you know connect them to me on the other platforms of of choice as well. Make sure we get the right one. <laughs> we get you, the actual Ryan. <laughs> well, there, there, it, it is funny that people will 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 send me links and and uh, you know say, "Is this you?" And and um, I'm about half the time it's yes, and about half the time that it's no. Um, and I uh, apparently I don't have enough fame and credibility yet that when someone only searches by Ryan Frederick, that I'm the only one who comes up. So maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's the next threshold where, you know, I, I can now own a space with a single, you know, naming convention, like, you know, Serena or Madonna. Um, it's interesting though. It does seem like women are, are better at 
commandeering a single name sort of, of space than men are. That's interesting. I wonder what that's about. <laughs> right. Cause there's, you know, Cher and Madonna and Serena. Um, and if you think about it on the male side outside of like tiger, like, or Prince in the old days, in pr- <laughs> no, Prince in the old days. Name? I don't even know. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it, it it's less so on the, on the, on the male side. I don't, I don't know if there's something to that. Um, but you know, it, uh, so one day, so now my, now my mission must be that when anybody says Ryan, I'm the only Ryan they think of and everybody ah. knows they're referring to me. Uh, so that's the ultimate goal of life. That's, the, be that's the ultimate Ryan. goal. You are the ultimate Ryan. <laughs> World domination of the category of Ryan. Right. Um, I love it. So, you know, you know, we'll, we'll see. I'll, I'll have a few more bourbons in the pursuit of that, um, that stature. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah. already trying to visualize it in my mind. Like, what's the font? You know, how does it look? <laughs> what are you doing with your hair? No. <laughs> right. The, 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 the world. What's the brand? It, 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 exactly. And, and, you know, the brand would probably be some, you know, gray stubble faux hawk, you know, thing. Right. <laughs> um, because I actually, I, I, when I, when I speak at conferences, I've had people come to me that I've run into later and, and, and they're like, Hey, I know you. And I'm like, Oh really? And they're like, well, I don't really know you, but I remember, I remember your hair and I remember seeing you speak at this event and I'm, and I'm like, okay, I guess that's good. you at least you remembered something about me. Um, so I don't know how I'm not, I'm now 53. I'll be 54 in June. I don't know how long I can carry off the, the faux hawk until, <laughs> you know, and until I get to a point where it's like, mm, should a 72 year old guy have a faux hawk? I don't know. Um, well, I guess you'll find out what your what your feeling is about that. But, you know, at least you've got a thing, you know, there's it, a thing. It's not just you're just that another, you know, brown haired guy with the same haircut and the polo shirt or whatever. You've got a thing. Right. Right. <laughs> it's, it, it, the skinny guy with the, the gray faux hawk is how people remember me. So, you know, uh, for better, or for worse. Right. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> well, thank you, Ryan Frederick, so much for being on today. I really appreciate it. And you guys go out there and grab his book, check out the website. Um, you'll have links down below to uh, whatever we think or the world thinks you need to know and uh yeah keep checking out what uh, ryan's doing because i'm super curious what the third book is but you're just gonna have to keep an eye on him and find out <laughs> right it's a secret secret okay bye guys Thank you for listening to our Very Imperfect Parenting Podcast. If you'd like a little more like live coaching sessions, then jump into facebook.com backslash IPParents. You can also write me at ariel at imperfectparenting.net or jump on that site for other resources like book reviews and other fun things. If you would just share with one person or let one person know about this podcast, that helps us a lot. As well, we have Patreon with extra privileges and Have a beautifully imperfect day. Thank you so much for being out there.